Uh, hello, Dr. Barak. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How do you do? I'm very fine, thank you. And thank you for uh, sparing some time for us and giving us time for this session. I really uh, appreciate it. It's my honor to be here, and I'm very delighted and pleased to be here. A real honor. Um, and thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you. And I would like to invite you to lay down your introduction first. Uh, let us know a little background and a little introduction. About, about myself? Yeah, about yourself. Like, what huh. do you do? What are your expertise? What have you studied? So actually, I'm a, I'm a senior researcher in two main institutions in Israel. One is this is in the IDC in Herzliya, which is the International Institute for Counterterrorism, and the other institute is the Moshe Dayan Center hmm. for Middle East and African Studies. And I have a, a diverse research fields. Uh, and it's, of course, uh, on uh, political Islam, modern Egypt uh, history and uh, politics and society, Sufism, of course, and Salafi movements. And uh, uh, Salafis means like political Salafis, the Puritan Salafis, and also uh, the jihadist Salafis, Al-Qaeda and ISIS. So this is my research, and I'm also lecturer in, uh, at IDC on this uh, subject, and also uh, social media networks That's in the world. And we are, we are uh, somehow we are lucky to have uh, five sessions uh, with you. Inshallah. This is first one, and inshallah we'll have four more. And we are starting from Sufism, and we'll be ending on, um, I guess it, it is, uh, Digital terrorism or IT terrorism, something like that. The subject is the last session. Ah, the last session, cyber terrorism. Yes. Cyber terrorism, yes. So that is a series of diverse interviews with you. And uh, we are today we are starting with Sufism in Damascus in 16th to 18th century, right? And before that, I would like to uh, ask you a question, Dr. Brack. Uh, as, as I know you, uh, as, and we have uh, discussed it, you have uh, a great influence on Sufism in your personality. You like Sufism, you practice Sufism, you study Sufism. So how, how it started in your life? I discovered, first of all, Sufism, Sufism is my first love. And I discovered Sufism in, uh, when I was in my BA studies at, in Tel Aviv University. I study uh, Arabic literature and Middle Eastern studies in my BA. And then I continued to MA, uh, Arabic, Arabic studies and Islamic studies, and PhD also to Middle Eastern studies. And all during this time, it took me more than a decade, I focused on Sufism, on researching Sufism. First of all, uh, I focused on uh, Sufism in the 16th and 18th century in Damascus, Ottoman Damascus. I wrote a thesis on that. It was 15 years, years ago. 
but uh, I still like the also the traditional Sufism and the old Sufism and then I continued to uh, research the relations between Sufism, more modern Sufism to uh, and the clash or the polemics between uh, modern Sufism to the Salafi, Salafi movements, the polemic discourse between them. Hmm. But beside the teaching, beside the let's say uh, I have also um, let's say that if you are going to if someone is interested to continue to his PhD studies you must love passionately the subject so I okay. love passionately Sufism that's why I uh, dedicated many years for that I'm still dedicating and um, I think that Sufism is also is very similar also to Judaism and that uh, uh, there are very many simil similarities. For example, uh, I think that humanity should not put an emphasis on the material side, but on the on the soul, on the, how to become a better uh, person. Um, so, so I think in personal aspect, I I uh, connected very much to the ideals and the ideology and the principles, spiritual principles, principles that are imbued and found in Sufism, because I think this is a compass for our daily life. And many people are forgetting this. And um, so I think Su Sufism is, uh, is, is a compass. It's, it's a way of life. And uh, I, I, so, so that's why I, I like Sufism and also the Sufi people. And uh, Actually, all human beings, if they are having, if they are not radical ones, but but Suf Sufism is an uh, it's a symbol. It's a and it is an anti-radical uh, thing. I guess people seriously they uh, uh, think that Sufism is something to counter radicalism. It's it's the right way to counter the radicalism. And uh, Dr. Barak, there is an interesting uh, Sufi culture in Israel, and I guess there is a Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, Sufism, uh, which uh, most of uh, people, they, like you were talking to me uh, just before this interview, that there is a culture of Sufism which is known like Abrahamic Tariqa or Abrahamic Sufism. Actually, I will give a short uh, history introduction, and then I will relate to your question. Uh, under the Ayyubid era, under Salah al-Din mm -hmm. al-Ayyubi, who mm -hmm. uh, ruled on uh, Syria and, uh, and Egypt, uh, there was a famous Jewish uh, doctor. His name was Ibn Maimon, and he was, until today, he has an impact on the Jewish uh, brain, Jewish uh, uh, thinking. Uh, and his son, Abraham, Abraham, he was uh, he was admiring a lot Sufism. And uh, people are not aware to this fact. And in uh, let's say that in the last twenty years, um, uh, in Russia there is an archive. I don't know why it's in Russia, but there is an archive archive that have documents who shed more lights on the activity of the son of uh, Ibn Maimon 
Avram, who was a Sufi, and people are beginning to be aware to his uh, Sufi activity. Now, in Israel, if we went back to, to this uh, era, uh, there is an attempt by Jewish uh, rabbi, rabbis and also uh, academic ones to revive this uh, Sufi, Jewish Sufism uh, with, with cooperating also with uh, Muslim sheikhs, Palestinian, uh, Arab Israelis, Israelis, and, uh, there, and in the name of this uh, Sufi order, Jewish and Muslim, it's called the Etarika el the Abraham order, because okay. Isaac and uh, Ismail are the sons of, uh, uh, of, uh, of Abraham. Okay. So that, that this is a message that Jew, Jews, Jews and Muslims can live together. There can be a coexistence. And these rabbis and these Muslim uh, Sheikh Sufis, they also uh, um, celebrating a, a common practice, uh, rituals. So some people read from the uh, verses from the Quran and some from the Old Testament, the Bible, uh, verses that relates to God. Why God is, is uh, important to worship and uh, all this is like a, a in order to intensify or to uh, bring the people together, because we are mm. sons of God, and mm. we should not fight, etc., etc. Mm. Um, that, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I, have, I have worked with uh, Dr. H. J. Between. Uh, he was a great personality, uh, and he lived for 95 years on this mother. He was from. Netherlands, a practicing Sufi, uh, who always believed that uh, Sufism is the essence of all religions. So we we believe in it that Sufism is the essence of all religions, and where there is spirituality, mysticism, there is Sufism basically, and no religion claims the copyright of Sufism. Every religion has its own tradition of Sufism, mysticism, and spirituality. And this is a very good way to uh, seeing common uh, grounds on the basis of Sufism, which you people are doing there. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think Sufism as it is a message of life. How to yeah. behave to the other and how to behave to yourselves, first of all. Just be, be a good man and then, but I have a lot to learn. I'm not, uh, I'm still learning. That's right. Everyone, everyone is learning it in this way. And it is always a learning process. So uh, let us know about your studies and research of Sufism in Damascus in 16th and 18th century. Uh, okay, so first of all, the, I, I wrote a dissertation, MA dissertation, 15 years ago under the supervisor of Professor Michael Winter. He, one of, unfortunately, passed away uh, two weeks ago, uh, but he got uh, uh, a name. He, uh, he is one of the leading, was one of the leading scholars for Sufism in, uh, under the Mamluk and Ottoman uh, era. 
So I wrote the, uh, the, the MA under his, uh, is under supervising. So, but before I, I give you, before we go into details about the uh, Sufism in the Damascus, Ottoman Damascus between 16th to 18th century, I maybe I, I I don't know maybe I should relate to the Mamluks who came before the Ottomans. So um, I, I must say that the let's say that even Salah al Ayyubi, the Ayyubi the dynasty, and then the Mamluk, and then the Ottoman yeah. dynasty, all of them behaved uh, very well to to Sufis. They thought that Sufism is uh, very important in the religious life and in the society. And I will explain why immediately. But uh, the Mamluks also, they... Um, oh, uh, the Mamluks also uh, admire, uh, the, uh, the, admire the, Sufi, the Sufis. And uh, we, we could see, see that by, for example, uh, I don't know, I don't want to give too many names, but uh, for example, uh, um, Sultan Kaitbai, one of the Mamluk uh, last last Mamluk sultans, he built a big mausoleum for uh, Sufis. Mm. For example, in Tanta in Egypt, which is until today is a very famous uh, Sufi sh uh, shrine. Many people immigrate to there, and unfortunately, because of the coronavirus, now uh, there are no maulid around this uh, shrine. But uh, he, he is the one, the Mamluk Sultan is the one to cultivate, uh, uh, let's say, the ritual and to finance this uh, shrine. It's uh, under the name of Ahmad al-Badawi, who, who established uh, Ahmadiyya Badawiya in Egypt. So yeah. we, see, we see that many Mamluk, Mamluks uh, financed uh, Sufis in Egypt, particularly, but in Syria also, but not as in Egypt. And uh, eventually, eventually the Ottomans gave rise, or they gave uh, under the Ottomans Sufism, the power of Sufism increased dramatically, because the Ottomans invested uh, also a lot of money. Uh, uh, they gave waqf uh, endowment to Sufis. They established a mausoleum. Uh, they established. Uh, they gave villages. They gave villages to Sufis that they will live and continue to spread Sufism. Hmm. And, um, and, the, and, the, and let's say that between 16th to 18th century, hmm. in, the, uh, Arab in the Arab provinces, and also in Damascus particularly, Sufism hmm. became very strong, very strong. And Sufism was not limited only to uh, to the let's say uh, to the ritual aspect, Sufis they beca they began to um, to play a major role in politics. They played a major role also in solving problems between the rulers to the citizens, and uh, and this is and, and and I will speak it about it uh, in a moment. Now. When in, in 1516, September 1516, Selim uh, the first, Selim Yevuz, hmm. the Ottoman Sultan, decided that it's the time to uh, expel the Mamluks. Hmm. And one of the main reasons for that was that 
the Mamluks uh, signed a military treaty with the Shi'i Safavid Empire, and the Ottomans were very afraid that uh, now there will be a Shia influence on the Sunni community in Antalya and other territories of Ottoman Empire. So yeah. that's why he decided to, uh, to, to fight in, against the Mamluks and to expel them. And he, and, uh, he fought against the Mamluks in uh, Aleppo. He defeated them and then he continued to Damascus and uh, let's say that there were three prominent Sufi leaders in Damascus. One of them was the leader of uh, Saadiya, Jibawiya, uh, mm. Sufi order that decided to open the gates of Damascus to the Ottomans. Mm. And when the Ottomans entered to Damascus, the first, the first thing that uh, Selim, Sultan mm. Selim did, he went to the mausoleum. I probably all of all of us know uh, the the mausoleum. He went to the shrine of Ibn Arabi, the famous Andalusian, uh, the famous Andalusian uh, uh, Sufi Sheikh, who is buried in Damascus, and uh, and he established a, a, a magnificent mausoleum on uh, Ibn Arabi shrine. And he ordered to give, he ordered the, to build a, a staff that will uh, finance and will support this uh, mausoleum. And uh, and then, and and why are the Turks are very? Let's say, why did this? As as I I don't know what uh, other Sufi orders think, but uh, uh, according to the Turks. Ibn Arabi was uh, a prominent Sufi Sheikh that that uh, predicted the rise of the Ottomans, and uh, mm -hmm. he predicted that he had a vision that the that the Ottomans, the Turks, will rule on Syria and Egypt. So uh, that's, that's why the Turks are, uh, became admire admirers of Ibn Arabi, and and beside Ibn Arabi, they also. Um, by the way, uh, Sultan Selim also built a, a complex of mosques and my mausoleum and others, which is called today, until today, it's called the Sulemania, yeah, the yeah. Selemia, Selemia, and also his son, Suleiman the Magnificent, also he supported Sufis in Damascus and established a complex, which is called the Sulemania. Now, why are the, the Turks are uh, admire, they were ready to support Suf Sufis? If we remember, if the history, if we look back in history, the, uh, the Turks in Antalya and other territories were converted to Islam by, especially by Sufis. And uh, for example, the Yeseviya, Yeseviya order, which was mm. active in uh, Antalya and also in the Central Asia. So, mm. Let's say that the connection between the Turks to Sufism is stronger was stronger than the Arabs, and uh, and uh, and uh, beside this, um, beside this, the, the Ottomans thought that it will be a good uh, possibility. It's that by cultivating Sufism, they will manage to build a virtual wall against mm -hmm. the Shia 
against the Shia influence from the Safavid Safavid Empire. Yeah. And, they, and for them it was uh, because the Sufis in those times, also today, they are uh, enjoyed a good relations with the population. They have, they are having, had and having uh, uh, emotional intelligence. They know how to speak to the people, that they took care of the people. And, uh, and they had, because they had influence on the people, the Ottomans also uh, supported, supported them. Hmm. Um, and also many Sufis also believe in their uh, ability to make karamat, uh, miracles. And they also invited Sufis from Egypt and Syria and Damascus to the to Istanbul. For example, uh, in the 17th century, yep. uh, Murad, the Sultan Murad, invited uh, a Suf, prominent Sufi from uh, the Khalwatiya, Khalwatiya order, yeah. in order to uh, cure his, yeah. his son. And he succeeded in that. And um, let's say that uh, the, the, by cultivating Sufis, this was kind of legitimation, a religious legitimation to the Ottoman uh, Empire. So when Ottoman Empire got inside Damascus and other, other Arabic provinces, they decided to promote and to support Sufis. They admired them, admired them. They thought they have the ability to uh, represent them, and and uh, also uh, because of because they were perceived as a shield in front of uh, the Shia influence. So, uh, should, should I continue? Yeah, yeah, please, please. So, uh, so, so uh, let's say that in the eve of the Ottoman occupation of Damascus, there were three main leading, uh, there were five, five main leading Sufi orders. One of them, the oldest one, uh, was the Kaderiya, Kaderiya order, which was founded by Abed al-Qadr al-Jilani in Iraq. But uh, in uh, Damascus, in those times, the Kaderiya did not manage to become like uh, crystallized or became uh, a leading one, one leading Sufi order. The Kaderiya was limited to individuals, like uh, Every family, many, many families were, uh, ad, were adhering and uh, following the Kaderiya uh, order. The second Sufi order was uh, uh, the Ahmadiyya Jibawiya, which was, uh, which was a, a sub, sub branch of, uh, of the Rifaiya, which came also from Iraq. That's and right. this was one of the strong, strongest uh, orders in Su Ottoman uh, Damascus. The third one was um, uh, the, the Sumadiyya, which was at the beginning, it was following after the Kaderiya order. But then it, it became a, a dependent one. Um, in the, for example, uh, the father of this uh, Sufi order was called the uh, Salim, 
and he was one of the descendants of Abed al-Qadr al-Jilani, and eventually in the end of the 14th century, he became uh, an independent one. And the, and the, and the Sumadi, Sumadi uh, Sufi order in Damascus, they were uh, wearing uh, green turbans on their head yeah. in order to prove that they were uh, descendants of uh, Ali, as the of Muhammad. Um, by the way, the Sumadiya, they, one of Sama, you also in uh, Pakistan, you use the term Sama. Yeah. Sama. So the Sumadiya during their Sama and Zikr, they used to uh, they used to uh, play on drums uh, during uh, the praying in the mosque. Yeah. And, and the ulama criticized them on that, but eventually it became legitimized. This uh, practice. That's now the, the the fourth the fourth uh, the fourth Sufi order was the Khalwatiya which is originally from Antalya and the Balkans and emerged in the second half of the 14th century mm. and it penetrated to Syria from Turkey first to Aleppo and then to Damascus and by the way the Khalwatiya also penetrated to uh, Ottoman Damascus uh, from Iraq also uh, by the Kurds many Kurds fled from yeah. Iraq to uh, Syria because of the threat of the Shia, Shia Safavid Empire. And they all were Khalavatis, or the majority was Khalavatis. The majority, yes. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, I can I mention maybe a prominent Sufi scholar from the Khalwatiya, Ahmad al-Asali al-Khalawati, who was one of the main um, leading Khalwati Sufi uh, scholars that disseminated Khalwatiya. Let's say that that this this order Khalwatiya and then the Naqshbandiya, uh, they were very uh, prominent in the uh, in the Turkish territories also, and then they reach to the Arab provinces. Hmm. You know that 15, 15 uh, sultans, Ottoman sultans, were. Um, members of the Khalwati, Khalwati uh, Sufi orders. They even gave uh, education according to the Khalwatiya order. But That's great. Yes, but, but uh, and then... It's good to hear, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and then the fifth one was the Naqshbandiya, which came from Bukhara. The, the father was uh, the one that disseminated the Naqshbandiya was uh, Murad al-Bukhari. This was in the 18th century in Ottoman Damascus. And the Naqshbandiya succeeded to penetrate to many places in Ottoman uh, Damascus. By the way, I also myself, I visited in uh, the shrine of uh, Baha Adin uh, Naqshband. Uh, in the shrine, it's uh, not because I, because I was interested, I, we had uh, a visit from Tel Aviv University to Uzbekistan. So they took us to see the shrine of uh, Naqshaban. It was very interesting. Um, so these are, so actually these are five, five um, su leading Sufi orders. I think now, what this knowledge 
this uh, data, where, are, where do we know that from? Now, during my research on uh, the life of Sufis in uh, Damascus, Ottoman Damascus, mm -hmm. I used uh, several, uh, I used several uh, sources. Okay. And uh, one of these sources was uh, uh, dictionaries with biographies of prominent uh, figures, pers mm. personalities in Ottoman Damascus. And all of these historians, all of, all of these who wrote these uh, dictionaries were Sufis. So maybe I will mention some of them. Yeah. Um, for example, Najim Adin El-Razi. Najim Adin El-Razi, he yeah. belonged to Kaderia Sufi order and belonged to the Naqshab, uh, um, Naqshabandi, no, sorry, only to the Kaderia uh, Sufi order. And he wrote, about more than 6,000 biographies on prominent uh, personalities Ottoman, on, 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 uh, personalities in Ottoman Damascus. So I had to read all of these. Yes. This is only one, one uh, dictionary about that. And uh, the second one, uh, Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Muhibi, he was from the seventh century. He wrote more than uh, 1,200 biographies, hmm. uh, and and the, and the most of them were Sufis, by the way. And uh, and the third one was Muhammad uh, Khalil Al Muradi, who wrote about hmm. 600 biographies on uh, prominent uh, personalities in Ottoman uh, Damascus, and most of them were also Sufis. So there were there also and there are also other, there were also other uh, sources like uh, mystical travels literature. For example, mm -hmm. Abed al-Rani al-Nabulsi. Abed al-Rani al-Nabulsi he belonged to the Kaderiya and the Naqshbandiya orders, and he wrote about his revelation about his mystical journey in uh, Syria, in uh, Syria and also in other places. Uh, for example, he wrote how he was uh, pleased to uh, have a vision on Ibn Arabi shrine. And uh, he wrote about the miracles of Sufi sheikhs, etc. Uh, yeah, there was also uh, uh, chroni chronicles. So another source is chronicles. What does it mean? That uh, historians, who, uh, I, can, I, can, I can call them uh, journalists, they wrote like in a journalist way about the daily life of the people. So for example, one of them was Shihab Adin al-Khalaq. He was a barber. He was a Sufi. He belonged to the Sa'adiyya Jibawiya Sufi order. And he described the daily life of the common people, the lower, uh, the lower uh, level of the society. He was more interested about the misery and the poverty of the common people. But at the same time, he also gave um, a background and details about the Sufi practice and Sufi lives in Ottoman uh, Damascus. So, so under the Ottoman, so, so under the Ottoman uh, rule, Sufis became prevailed very common in all levels of society, politics, uh, uh, spiritual, everything. 
thanks to the support of the Ottoman Empire and also because there were there were many charismatic charismatic Sufi sheikhs and they managed to um, disseminate uh, they answered on the needs of the people but this is a matter of fact that there were some political motivations behind the spread of Sufism in the region of course yes. Ottoman, the empire used the influence of Sufis to uh, safeguard their uh, objectives and their uh, positions yes the empire used them. yes but uh, they believe them of course that's that's why yeah. Ottoman uh, Ottoman uh, sultans invited Sufi chefs to their court to Istanbul yes. to uh, take care of their children or to give them bless before they went out to the war against Austria Empire uh, Austria or against uh, uh, the Persian Empire and uh, mm. some of these and, and the, the, the Ottoman um, sultans when they won in the field in the battlefield they say oh this Sufi Sheikh he give me this bless I won because of that and then he decided to support him to finance to give him more money but usually the Sufi Sheikhs did not like to take the money. They did say, no, we are only focused on uh, the, the worship of God. And if they took the money, they gave some of this money to the poor people. So uh, Either to the poor people or to, uh, in some way, to through their system, in through meal or through addressing the need of poor people. But right. uh, this, this is how Sufism and the institution of Sufism works i completely agree what is the finding the finest finding you have learned through your research about the era of sufis in damascus what was the final uh, what i understood yeah the finest thing which you come to know during Actually, your research was the wonderful thing which I did not know and now I know it actually I, I knew a lot before <laughs> before I yeah. uh, dive into it it was very difficult task to read uh, more than uh, 7,000 uh, biographies and then to build 7,800 uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah it was very difficult but I I more I find it more interesting the spiritual aspect uh, and the description of these Sufi source of these sources about the daily life of the people and how the Sufi chefs uh, how they uh, helped to the poor people for example if there was a, a bad Ottoman ruler uh, Damascus wanted to increase the taxes and to take the lands of the common of the common people then the Sufi chefs came to the governor say, and said to him, no, you should not touch him if, if no. you want my support, if, if, or, or uh, you, must, you must not touch the poor people. No. So, and, the, and uh, usually it worked. The Sufi chefs had a, a big influence on the rulers. And uh, the rulers were also, I will give you an example. For example, I also think it's fascinating that uh, in uh, in the 16th century like today we have uh, a coronavirus so in the 16th century there was a, a plague 
also. Yeah. I don't know which kind, but many many people in Syria were died, and and the and the governors of Damascus they ask the help of the Sufi sheikhs that they will pray for God uh, to stop this plague. Hmm. And, uh, and the Sufi sheikhs, all of the orders, all of the Sufi orders went out to Damascus, to the open air, and gave a prayer to God. Hmm. And after, according to the sources, the plague stopped. And this, this thing only increased the popularity of the Sufi sheikhs. For example, there was also uh, in 1679, 1679, there was a locust plague. Mm. Locust. There, there is a locust plague, I know, in Africa, and also there was in India. Um, so, so also the Sufi sheikhs went outside and prayed, gave a special prayer in, in, in order to, uh, uh, to increase the moral of the people that this will end, it will have an end. And also in uh, 1759, there were several earthquakes in, yeah. in Damascus. So again, the Sufi sheikhs were trying to calm the people and to pray. And also when there was a times that there was, was no rain, no, yeah. no rain, no water. So uh, also the Sufi sheikhs gave special prayer. So uh, they, they, I found it very interesting to see the connection between the Sufi sheikhs to the common people yeah. and uh, how the Sufi sheikhs understand the common people and how they are uh, not following, you know, after uh, the politicians, but they are ready to serve uh, the common people, to help them. Um, and I found also uh, interesting the clash between the ulama to the Sufis. Yeah, it, it was always there. It is still there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it is, unfortunately, it is still there. So if you want, I can give some examples. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, so, uh, I don't know, in, there is a practice which is called, is called El-Mahya. And it's it's a night prayer, special night prayer for uh, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and uh, it was first established in Tanta in the 12th century by Sufis. And uh, at the beginning, the ulama criticized this practice. They say that this is a negative innovation, bid'ah, yeah, and that uh, it should be abolished. And uh, many Sufis legitimized this practice and said that we are. We are praising Prophet Muhammad. This is something legitimate. It's, it's not a negative bid'ah, it's a positive bid'ah. And this practice was imported to uh, Damascus um, uh, by Abed al-Qadir ibn Sawar. It was brought to the Umayyad Mosque in the 16th century. And uh, every Friday, uh, there were special uh, night prayers for Prophet Muhammad, and also there the ulama criticized uh, this practice. But eventually, eventually the Sufis were so influential that uh, the ulama legitimized this uh, practice, so that the common people are also involved in that. So it was legitimized. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, another uh, practice was, as I told you, was uh, the drums, using drums du during the, the Ezekiel. Ezekiel. So the, which was character, which was, which uh, the Sumadiya order use it. Mm. So uh, again, so many Sufis and even ulama, they wrote uh, books and articles that this is not, this is right, it's fine. These ulama went against the ulama that criticized them. So one of the explanation why it's legitimized in Islam, it says that when you're going out to a war, you are using drums for war in order to motivate the people to fight better so the same thing when you use drums in the during the prayer then you motivate the, the 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 people the muslims to be more focused and to uh, take out their emotions to god uh, by listening to the music or uh, drums or even it's a war again it's a war from the evil inside as long as you're focusing God is fine, but if you think of something else because of the music, yes, it's it's wrong. No, I said uh, as as it was used to uh, beat, they used to beat the drums during the war. Yeah. And now right. in zikr, when you when you offer yourself uh, or to God during the zikr, then still you are in a war. It is a kind of war which you fight with your inner evil. evil right yes against the ego yeah and uh, i think i will give more example uh, about drinking drinking coffee yeah so most sources say that coffee was uh, was uh, invented in uh, yemen by uh, sufi sufi sheikh watch which his name was idrusi and and uh, one of one and the, the coffee was disseminated to also Arab provinces, also to uh, Ottoman Damascus, and it was brought by the Ali ibn Muhammad al Shami to Damascus in 15, 1533. Now there was That's, a huge what it means, it means coffee is a Sufi drink, right? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, yeah. So, so people, many people like the coffee, drank it. They opened coffee shops in uh, Damascus, also in Egypt, and uh, and the ulama were very upset on that. Coffee is very bad. It's a bid'ah. This is equal to uh, drinking wine. This is what the ulama said, and it's uh, and it's also it's not healthy to the body, to uh, the health, and. Um, there was a big criticism against that, but eventually, event ah, and because of this criticism, uh, Suleiman, the second Suleiman, the Ottoman uh, Sultan, he prohibited. He said it's forbidden to use coffee. But the people he did was not influenced by the ulama at that time. What? So he was influenced by the ulama. Yes, yes, eventually, yeah, but hmm. the. Uh, Let's say that eventually, eventually, because the common people did not listen to this order, hmm. they continued to drink coffee everywhere. Hmm. Uh, eventually, uh, Murad, the Ottoman Sultan Murad, in uh, 
Sultan Murad the Fourth, he abolished the prohibition. Said it's allowed. It's you can drink coffee. It's it's okay. But you can see that there was a little uh, a debate about the coffee, and uh, for example, uh, in in the sources that I read, uh, several ulama in Damascus, when they saw somebody drink coffee, they went in into his they went to his table, and they uh, they dropped his coffee. Okay. Uh, Dr. Barak, uh, it it reflects that. Sufi was always moderate, innovative, and influential. Right. Yes. And the same time, they also kept on the. They were a shield from from negative innovations. Hmm. For example, if they're also in the sources, uh, for example, where there were parades. In Damascus, mm. glorifying mm. Uh, Hussein. Mm. Uh, so the Sufis, they rushed up to stop it. They said, "You should not uh, having this parade in Damascus because you are uh, uh, promoting uh, the Shia. So you must, you must stop, stop this." And then they went to the ulama and the Qadi. The Qadi then they said to him, "You should involve, be involved, and stop it." Then. Of course, the ulama were following uh, after their uh, recommendation and the stop. Or, for example, there was in the 17th century a guy from a, a black guy who claimed that he was uh, the Messiah, that he was uh, had, had visions from God. Mm. The Sufis say that this is something very dangerous, and mm. this is uh, this, there is a risk that the Sunni faith will be corrupted because he, mm. this guy managed to recruit many followers. And mm. when the Sufi intervened, interfered, they stopped this guy, and he was sent to a lunatic uh, hospital uh, because of, of that. But we see that the Sufi sheikhs and the, not, and the, the murid also, the, they were a shield. They tried to defend on the orthodox uh, character of uh, Islam. Yeah, that's right. That's very right. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Barak, for your time, for this wonderful session, for your valuable research, which a glimpse you share with us. And on the last, I would like to ask you one question, Dr. Barak. You mentioned about almost 7,800 biographies of different Sufis uh, who lived in Damascus in that era. Are those all biographies are in Arabic right now or ah. someone translated it in different languages? Ah, the sources? Yeah. The sources that I read were all in Arabic, all in Arabic. Okay. Uh, by, by the way, in uh, Damascus, they were not only Arabs, they were also uh, Kurds and Turks and uh, and even from Lahore, I found biographies on Muslims from Lahore who immigrated wow. to Damascus. Yes. And, uh, um, so it was a kind of cultural hub at that time, Damascus. People from all over the globe, they were moving towards Damascus and moving back. Yes. So it was kind of cultural hub. That's one yes. And one of the reasons is because of the Ibn Arabi uh, shrine also. Yeah. And Ibn Arabi is like 
he is the ibn arabi and uh, how many institutes or uh, think tanks are working in your country on sufism is there a specific institute or think tank or organization which is working on sufism research or maybe like maybe we should open together until now i'm always ready i'm always ready i'm always ready for sufism i'm always ready 24/7 365 days of a year anywhere anywhere so until now none there is none a single sufi uh, yeah then we will be the pioneer right what ah yeah then we will be the pioneers inshallah 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 and it was such a uh, pleasant uh, experience to talk to you uh, and i hope to see you in next session very soon and we will keep on discussing different issues on different themes not only uh, limited to these five sessions in future inshallah this is yeah, a bond just build and we will carry it on thank you very much thank you for being with us thank you doc